0: From the Utah School Counselors Association, this is The Sounding Board, where school counselors share ideas. I'm Nate Webb. And I'm Hillary Emmer. We can't wait for you to hear these ideas. Let's get to it. Welcome, Utah School Counselors, to this week's episode of The Sounding Board. We are excited to have Heidi Alder here, Um, at least I'm really excited because um, she is a school law attorney and she is the guru to all things FERPA and PERPA. We're going to talk about all that um, and hopefully um, make Things feel less scary. <laughs> there you go. Maybe demystify it a little bit. So I don't know, Heidi, maybe share a little background on what you do, kind of how you ended up in this position. And then um, we can kind of get into the nitty gritty of, of the law.
1: <laughs> yeah. Happy to. So I've been practicing school law um, since 2011, just to kind of maybe go rather than backwards. I'll start from the beginning of my career. I was a school teacher in Davis school district, um, in 1998. And it's been a while. It probably shouldn't actually add a year, um, to this information, but I taught school for a little while. taught junior high, um, loved it. And then decided that I was going to go to law school, um, with this ambitious, um, idealism that I was going to Change the system because all of the laws that frustrated Mm -hmm. me as a school teacher, I thought, well, a law degree, I can just fix that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now I find myself just telling people, you know, what the (laughs) law is and how they have to comply with it. (laughs) (laughs) But I do get to do a little bit of work with legislatures every year. And it's kind of a huge sigh of relief when the legislative session is over yeah. because then you can say, okay, there's not going to be any more damage this year. But, but I do work, um, closely with, um, stakeholders in education and and sometimes get to provide a voice when it comes to policy. So I guess in a small way, I am using my library to change the system.
0: Yeah. I, um, I think we realize it just, um, it moves slower than we all want it to. <laughs> that,
1: is true too. that is true too. Um, so after law school, I practiced law for a little while at a, um, just a law firm that kind of did everything. And I hated it. I felt like my, my soul was being such dry oh, no. after working with kids in the school system. I think anything else is kind of a, a very depressing job. So I quit and went back to teaching school at a private residential treatment center. And while I was teaching, I taught English and history. I actually did some contract work with the State Board of Education as a hearing officer for cases involving allegations of educator misconduct. And then within about three years, a position opened up in in that department, the Department of the, the Professional Practices and the Legal Department, and so I went to work at Utah State Board of Education for, again, about three years as an investigator oh. into allegations of professional misconduct. And then also just as a legal mind football yeah. <laughs> and I'd ask questions and then I'd be able to, to help with the um, legal part of schools.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I mean, you, you definitely, you know what you're talking about and you got all the, the smarts and all of that to back it up. So I just feel like we're so lucky to get this time with you. Um, Hopefully you guys got to also go to her session at conference. Um, But like, thanks for saying yes to this interview and letting us chat because like we were talking before we hit record, just, I think just how FERPA in general just sort of feels like you feel like, Oh, I don't know. I can't say this. I can't do this. Or if I do this, I'm going to get in trouble and it can come with a lot of fear. And so we talked about just maybe trying to lay some of that aside and just like, here's what you need to know. And here are like some firm things to really, really know. Um, and then, um, maybe who to call and talk to if you're not sure, you know? Um, so I guess, One thing you had mentioned before we hit record too, was this difference between like FERPA and Utah FERPA (laughs) or PERPA. (laughs) Maybe we get into that to start, and then we can get into some of the other like kind of things we talked about.
1: Yeah, definitely. So FERPA, Family Education Rights to Privacy Act is a federal law that was passed in the seventies. And it's really all about the privacy of student records. but It's both a privacy law and an access law. So it's not just privacy, but it also um, requires schools to allow parents and legal guardians to access education records. An education record is defined. And then of course, there's all these exceptions that mm. allow schools to share education records or information from an educational record without parent consent. But at its most basic level, FERPA says schools cannot share education records without parental consent, unless mm-hmm. there's an exception, yeah. and parents have a right to access a kid's education record. So that's FERPA. Uh-huh. Then a couple of years later, um, the Congress h- attached on a, what's called the Hatch Amendment because Warren Hatch was the one who, who proposed it. Okay. Um and it, it later became known as the pupil privacy rights act which is a, a component of FERPA or maybe a, a sister companion to FERPA but it's about the privacy of certain information mm-hmm. and that law is a federal law but it's also written into our state law and there's some slight differences very nuanced differences but again at, at that most basic level, the, the PERPA law says that we cannot um, solicit information from students if it covers certain topics. And that's a very simplified explanation of what that law is. There are different interpretations depending on where you are in the country, but Utah has a very narrow interpretation. The law itself talks about providing surveys and questionnaires um, and, and, and not being able to get information through these surveys and questionnaires. But in, in Utah, it's been interpreted even more, like I said, I don't know, narrowly or broadly, it's been interpreted in a way to mean that even asking oral questions, verbal questions about these certain topics that are outlined, there's eight specific topics that are outlined in the law, would be problematic without parental consent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: To take it a step further, even if a court were to say, actually, no, that's not what purpose says. Purpose not nearly that that broad. It really yeah. is just more narrow. Yeah. The educator standards that the Professional Practices Commission enforces, which is what I used to do, investigate and uh, uh, prosecute violations of those those standards, do get into more of the broad interpretation that. Getting kids and soliciting information from kids that are really um about topics that are more private crosses boundaries in a way that shouldn't shouldn't be done. Mm -hmm. So whether or not you or another attorney or a court were to say, well, PERPA doesn't really say you can't ask these questions, there there could be some potential licensing consequences for boundary violations when an educator or including counselors, yeah are asking questions of kids that are, you know, categorized in these
0: eight off limit topics without parental consent, without parental consent. So, um, like I know within my district, I'm pretty sure this is a similar practice to other districts too. You know, we have, I'm holding up like a, we call it the FERPA form because it's that consent form for parents Mm. to sign for us to meet with their students, you know, and it's got all the legal jargon on it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I just pulled it in front of me because um, the eight specific categories are listed here as, you know, these are with the state code and all of that, you know, these might come up, but we are not the counselor soliciting this information. Um, You know, so what I think, I guess, is that sort of the the thing to be mindful of is like yeah students may share something with you that is like their uh, political affiliation <laughs> but you're not the counselor actively asking them about that um, you know and, but it, it doesn't mean if you know if they're talking about that you can be like oh that's sorry we can't talk okay. anymore get out of my office you know, maybe talk right. through sort of that. I mean, and one of the things on here is mental or psychological problems, you know, and, and that's like us. Right. So, yeah. but I think that's where it's, it's just like you said, it's like, that is our job. We need to know how they're doing, but this isn't saying don't ever ask them. I, I guess that's where it, it gets confusing. Right. It's like, well, what does that mean as yeah. a the counselor? Then,
1: <laughs> Right. Right. No, that's, that's a lot of the, Those are great questions. The form that um, most districts have and and use often referred to as a form is your permission slip to talk about these things. So you send these home and it lists all of those topics. And once you have a signed permission slip back, that law doesn't really apply anymore. I mean, what it says is you can't talk about these things or solicit information without prior parental consent. So once you have parental consent, you can disregard that still keeping in mind, of course, boundaries and not being inappropriate with the kids and talking to them about, um, things that are not within the course and scope of, of your job. Um, the second piece to what, um, we're talking about in addition to the permission to discuss things within the context of your council counselor role is when kids bring up things, kids bring up things all the time. And there's nothing in the law that says that an educator, teacher, counselor, principal, whoever it may be, has to shut that down. If a kid brings something up, it really is about getting in and, and trying to get information from kids without that parental consent, whether it's in the form of a survey or a questionnaire or a counseling session, um because of the nature of the of the topics too and the the topics include things like political affiliation which just as an aside as a former history teacher i know i violated because i would ask kids all the time okay well what do you think (laughs) about this and who wouldn't consider themselves more a democrat or republican based on this survey questionnaire Mm -hmm. but um and it would just seem so innocuous it seems totally innocent yeah um not not a big deal but that is one of the categories um the mental and psychological well-being, you know, sexual orientation, behavior, and attitudes. Mm-hmm. Information that is incriminating against a student. Uh, income is one. Conversations or discussions between a student and any kind of privileged relationship, yeah. like a clergy member, or an attorney, or a doctor. So those are the kinds of things yeah. that are um, yeah. protected. And the way I explain it to people just to kind of maybe help them understand why those things might be protected is these are the kinds of things that you don't just sit down at a dinner party and turn to your neighbor who you just met. And so, Oh, Hey, you know, tell me about your depression. Tell me about your suicidal ideation. Like Uh these are things that are a little bit more confidential and private and, and the parents feel like they don't necessarily want others to get into without their permission. And as you all know, this is a very parent friendly state, very Mm -hmm. parent rights state. And so they want to know what's happening at schools with their kids, but going back to what I was saying about kids volunteering that information, if a kid comes up and, and, you know, starts offering information, that's, that's fine. There's no reason to shut that down, but, but I would caution counselors before engaging and continuing in and sitting down and suddenly having this counseling session about it before going ahead and getting permission slip now I've heard I don't know where this got started or yeah. when it got started but i've I've done a lot of trainings and I've heard several times people say okay well we can ask three questions three questions or maybe it's five or maybe it's, it's a different number every time you're,
0: you're like, totally on that was my because this is a thing I hear a lot too is we get one <laughs> free session. Yeah, and it's like, what?
1: (laughs) I don't know where that came from. There's nothing in the law that says that, there's nothing in any court case that says that. It might be sort of more at one point in time, the spirit was, you know, in the spirit of the law or trying to read it. Yeah, you don't have to shut kids down, and yeah, you can ask enough to know whether or not you need to have a session. Yeah, you know. Yeah. that is okay. And, and, you know, yeah. you're all professionals and hopefully you have an understanding of where that line is, yeah. but there's no magic number, whether it's <laughs> one free session or eight questions or five questions that, right. Yeah. that are freebies. Right. So I don't know where that came from.
0: <laughs> I, I, yeah, that was like, that's one thing I wanted to make. It's like, yeah. Cause this is out there, right. We've heard it. And um, so hopefully this is reaching all the corners of the state. But can, <laughs> I want to just reflect that. Like The answer to that is that there's not really, that really isn't a thing. Um, But if a student that you've never met came in and was talking to you about um, they were feeling suicidal or uh, feeling depressed, that it would, it is okay to um, get information from that student on where they are so you can do that risk assessment. and I don't need do to close about the door that. and kick them out. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, this yeah. is an,
1: an interesting point of discussion because, um, about, oh, eight years ago it's when I was working at the state board of education and hope squads were just cropping up around the state. Yeah. The, um, opinion from the USBE at that time was that the types of training that hope squads were getting specifically the employees over hope squads, Mm-hmm. Um, and other suicide prevention programs was that you need to ask questions. You need to be very direct about asking yep. questions. Are you suicidal? Do you have a plan?
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: Um, the state board of education had said, well, we, we think that that technically violates this law. And so the, I can't remember who it was, but someone requested an opinion from the state attorney general's office and the state attorney general's office um, confirmed that, yeah, probably that is a technical violation of the law. And so as a consequence, Steve Ellison, who's a representative that runs a lot of legislation for student uh, suicide prevention, Mm -hmm. ran a bill that has been incorporated into the law for the past eight years that is specifically about suicide and Mm self-harm, that where an employee has reason to believe that a student is suicidal or engaging in self-harm or going to you can ask those questions for the purpose of getting that kid help and letting parents know. Yes. So just, that. just to be clear, when it comes to suicide, self-harm, you can absolutely move in, even if it's a you know mental or psychological problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think with that, thank you for pointing that out. Cause I do think that is where a lot of that concern comes from. And so, yes, we want to make sure kids are safe, and that they're okay. And that we do, like, I always think of it, if it was my own child, I would want the person at the school that talked to my child to let me know that they had this conversation Mm -hmm. so that I, the parent could do something with that and make sure that I'm following up on my end.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: But I think if we were to even take it like bigger picture, maybe something not so urgent, um, can I give you an example?
1: Cause here's another yeah. one that comes up a lot. And this, this yeah. is a tough one. So a kid comes in and says, I think I might be gay or I'm transsexual go. and you know I'm transgender and I don't want to talk to my parents about it. And yep. I don't know what to do. And, and what do I do? You know, that sexual behavior orientation or attitudes is another topic on that list. And That's a very fine line to walk because on the one hand, you do not want to shut those students down. I mean, these are some of the most um, marginalized groups of students in our schools, the very high suicide rate. And the last thing you want to do is kick them out or make them feel like you are not wanting to hear what they have to say. Yeah on the other hand, sitting them down and saying, well, tell me all about it. You know, yeah. when Joey walks by, are you attracted to him or, yeah. you know, what's it, what's it like? I mean, having that kind of a conversation yeah. could, could be problematic, Yeah, but definitely do not shut kids down who come to you. I mean, the question, and hopefully there's some guidance from your school, from your district. This is such a new, but very pervasive area right now, how to walk, through issues with transgender students. Hopefully you have some guidance from your schools. I would certainly suggest asking that first question. Do your parents know, you know, does anyone else know? Let's maybe get the administrator involved and encourage kids to communicate with their parents. But there might be good reason that a kid doesn't want to tell his or her parents at that point in time. And I would again, defer to your school as to what that, uh, that practice is, but there is no law that says you have to call parents when a kid comes out just to be clear about that too.
0: I thank you so much. Cause I think that is exactly, these are like these big areas that we get into and, um, that's the fair point because that may not be a good situation. Right.
1: Yeah. I, yeah.
0: I think what we're saying too is, um, You want to know what your district policies are. And on these, these ones that are tough, that like, honestly, as a state and as schools, we're figuring it out because we don't have it all figured out. Right,
1: right. Um, Exactly.
0: Ask questions and collaborate with your admin and other counselors and make sure you're getting answers. And um, if it feels weird, it probably is. So make sure you're asking. And I think anytime you just know you're going to continue working with a student, get the parent permission as soon as you can, as you know, ASAP, make it part of like, Hey, before you come in next time, make sure you bring this back signed, you know, like just that needs to be part of your practice as well, because we are working with minors. So, you know, we, we have to make sure that their, their parents are giving consent. And so I think if you just have kind of that guideline for yourself that I'm going to keep working with them and probably seeing them. I need to make sure I get this permission form.
1: Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Um, here's another big one that I hear floating hey. around. Cause we were talking about educational records. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so counselors and their notes, mm. um, and we have grandma requests, you know, and like, so, um, I mean, <laughs> I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think there is a misconception that you think that if you take notes that no one else will ever get to have access to them or see them. Um, but really if a parent wanted your private notes, I don't know. I think it's a really hard to differentiate what's a private note versus an educational record. If you're talking about students you work with, right. So maybe you could kind of give us some clarity on that. Cause yeah. I think that's a very, um, that seems to just be a tricky area where counselors, they want to take a memory jogger note to remember, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, maybe right. they, they subpoena it. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, let me, I, I think that's a great question. And there's actually a
1: specific, uh, term under FERPA that is considered, uh, an exception or actually it's not even an exception. It just actually falls outside of the definition of education records. And that is something called a sole possession record. And the sole possession record is defined as notes kept in the sole possession. I actually have it open in front of me because I uh, figured we'd talk about this. Yeah. You kind of do. Yeah, right. Uh, Notes kept in the sole possession of the maker, usually made as a memory jogger, like you said, for the person who created the record. Um, And I think one easy way to figure this out is if nobody else sees that record not another teacher not the count not another counselor not the principal this is just like you know notes you might keep on a sticky note if you weren't very organized like me or yeah. you have a, a notebook or you've got even a word document but this is just for okay this is what happened this time with this client when they come back in I'm in a you know client student patient whatever you want to call them but this is not something that goes in the students' um you know student information system or is communicated yeah. to another teacher or a principal if it truly is only for you then it does not have to be provided to parents when they ask for it if it's subpoenaed that's a different story but usually it comes in the form of i want everything that you've ever written down about my student you know all education records all communications everything about my kid And these are not considered education records. If they really are kept in your sole possession, means you were the only one who has possession or access to that record. Yeah. Hopefully that kind of helps clear it up just a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think that is definitely where it gets tricky because we, you know, try to work efficiently and you may have to document in the student information system, something. And so it's like, no one wants to do double documentation. Right. So I think it's just thinking about that. And I think even just, even for your own personal notes, if you're thinking, uh, if someone else was going to read this, does this read professional (laughs) and like unemotional, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. as good practice, because you just, yes, be on the safe conservative side. And, you know, it's not where you're writing like, Oh my gosh, Billy Bob's mom is crazy, you know, like (laughs) here's some pointers, never use all caps, never use exclamation points. (laughs) And I would suggest avoiding adjectives. I love, yeah. (laughs) You know, I worked in a residential treatment center. And so I write my school counseling notes. Like I'm still in the, in the, the treatment center. It's just very observational and factual. I have no opinion. It's right. just what I saw. You are an observer. That is a great way to,
1: I think, to describe it. You're observing what, and you're documenting what happened.
0: Yeah. You're not
1: expounding on how you feel about it. No one who's reading those notes should know how you feel about it. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's great. That's a good little like seed of. If if someone knows how you feel about it, then it's a little too emotional. So yeah, <laughs> Re- exactly. <right. laughs> exactly. Um. Okay. Eh, I. I we could talk all day. Cause there's so yeah. many, so many like crazy little things. Um, so I don't know, we may have to do another one of these, but like okay. as a, as a wrap up today, is there anything else just kind of of the big ones you want to make sure to clarify mm. or like, here's a really big one to be aware of, or a new one. I don't know, just any kind of parting thoughts, which is probably really yeah. hard. No, there, there
1: are so many and so many that I Talked about at the conference, yeah. um, but one other thing, just to always keep in mind, and I know this is on the forefront of most counselors' minds, but sometimes um, sometimes you drop the ball, and that's to notify parents in the event of suicidal ideation. And I know sometimes you work with kids who like to cry wolf, and there are kids who just want attention, and they're saying things that you know because you've worked with that kid that this is not a legitimate. Um, cry for help. Yeah. But unless you have a conversation with the parent and that parent tells you, look, this kid says he's going to kill himself every single day. Please don't call me every single day. If the parent does say that, put that in writing, have the yes. parent put that in writing, Absolutely. but otherwise make that call, send that email. You know, even if it's, Hey, Joey came in again today and made some statements. I just want to let you know. Yeah. Um, I worked with a situation, a really a situation where a counselor didn't, let the parent know and, um, nothing happened luckily, but it was because the counselor just like, I know this kid, this is not a legit thing. And the parent was, was really upset when they found out. And you can understand, um, why if a parent doesn't know that this kid's going through something, even if you think it's not really legit, make that call.
0: Absolutely. There's there is no such thing as no risk, right? right. And everything is at a minimum low risk. And mm-hmm. we, we have no way of guaranteeing that it wasn't a real risk. And it just mm-hmm. always err on the side of calling. I think that's really, really good sage advice. Um, you know, and, and I tell kids and parents too, even when they're like, I know I've talked like I'm so tired of talking to you about this <laughs> and there you can tell they're frustrated. And it's like, I just, it's like, if someone yelled bomb on an airplane, we're all going to overreact to this degree. And I'm going to do it every time I know. But I just yeah. I want you to know, I will call you and just so you know, but it, it's just, um, we, we just have to, to, you know, protect those students, the families mm-hmm. and ourselves, you know, yeah, like, exactly. we really can't say there is no risk ever. So.
1: Exactly. Great point.
0: Well, Heidi, um, thank you so much. This has flown by. <laughs> you no,
1: know, and come by fast, actually. It really has.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm like, so I think we may have to get get you on the schedule to do another like a round two and maybe um I'll keep another list of like the common questions and things that come up and, and maybe thank do you. another one of these. So. I appreciate it. It's Great. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Sounding Board. Email the sounding board at utschoolcounselor.org to send us your questions and ideas. If you like our podcast, please rate and review our show. It helps other school counselors find us. Links and additional information for any references from today's episode are in our show notes. Check out our website at utschoolcounselor.org, where you can listen to past podcast episodes, register for any of our professional development opportunities, and become a member of the Utah School Counselor Association. USCA members also receive bi-monthly newsletters to stay up to date on current Utah School Counseling news, events, and issues. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at UTSchoolCounselor and on Twitter at USCA Tweets. The mission of the Utah School Counselor Association is to support professional school counselors in their work for students through advocacy, professional development, recognition and support. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our members. We'll have more ideas to share with you next week.
1: Let's go.